When you sneeze and the person next to you says, bless you, have you ever wondered if that was genuine or purely out of habit? Welcome to episode 16 of What We Believe and Why with pastor, author, and teacher, Dr. George Byron Koch. Today, we continue our exploration of love versus obedience. Here's George. So I'd like to pick up where we left off last time. We're looking at what I've called magical thinking. And it has to do with the way Christians act in what I would call superstitious or magical ways, both about what they believe and about the acts that they perform, the traditions of worship and so on. And this is a healthy thing for us to examine. I want to give an example here of another uh, of this kind of habit common in Anglican churches and, and others where Someone passing the cross, which is behind the altar in the sanctuary, will bow to that cross as they walk across the sanctuary from left to right. We often do this in our church. At the end of the service, I actually usually come up before I exit and I bow before the cross. I do that because in my heart, I want to honor what the cross is about and what was done for me and for all of us on that cross. It's my body giving praise and thanks without words. But there are churches where this is the rule, the law. If you walk across the front of the sanctuary, past the altar, you must bow to the cross every single time. Now, I'm not suggesting that bowing is wrong, but that we can turn something that is a sign of praise and thanksgiving into a regulation. And when we do that, it can be gutted of its meaning. More, it can become a distraction. We get so focused on doing it right that we lose our true sense of purpose, which is a deepening of our relationship with God. Now, I want to be clear here that in the way we worship, whether it includes page-turning by acolytes or hands in the air or a circle of neighbors simply holding hands each week and praying, there is nothing intrinsically wrong with many of those things. It's an order of worship, and when it happens consistently, it gives us stability. It's not a bad thing, and it can be helpful. What I want to caution all of us about is magical thinking. The idea that if we are stiffly obedient to rules and to ritual, this will gain us God's favor, that it will assure his love for us and perhaps even assure our salvation, or that when we fail to follow the same rules, he gets mad and withdraws. This is not what the Bible teaches. It's not what Jesus teaches. It's not what Paul teaches, and it is not God's message to us. Listen to what Paul teaches in Romans 4.13. It is clear then that God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was not based on obedience to God's law, but on the new relationship with God that comes by faith. The word faith that Paul uses here literally means to trust. The new relationship with God comes about not because we are obedient to the law and earn our way into his favor, 
but because we trust him and his love for us. And that's the point. That's what it's about. God is always about relationship. He is always about trust and love. When Jesus sums up the whole law and the prophets, he does it by saying, The first commandment is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. God is always about acting in love. The command to love is greater than any other law, rule, regulation, concept, doctrine, ritual, behavior, order, process, tradition, canon, or guideline. God does not trade our obedience for his help with our wishes. That is, we can't use obedience to manipulate God to do our will. Now, this seems obvious when said as plainly as this, but the hard truth is that we act in countless different superstitious but holy-looking ways, as if our actions will allow us to control God. That is not a godly obedience, but rather a false and self-centered one. True obedience to God has to do with loving relationship, and God set the standard for this, and Jesus reminded us, first love him, and then love each other. Every other act that we have must be obedient to, dependent upon, subservient to these two great commands. Now I'd like to turn to chapter 13 on covenant, and particularly the covenant with Abraham. This will help illuminate what we've been talking about, about obedience and love. For a while, we've been focusing on obedience, what it isn't, and how we do it wrong. That is, those acts that have the appearance of godliness, but lack the power of God. They demonstrate a false piety and stem from wrong motives, whether in ritual or in daily behavior. It is when we do something hoping that we can manipulate God into giving us what we want. If it did, then we would control God, making us Lord and Him our subject. That attempt is foolish and wrong, and that is not obedience. Now I want to look at what obedience is and how we do it right, and that takes us to covenant. Covenant is never about pretense nor perfection, but always about willingness. Simply put, covenant is the foundation, the if and only if, the essential of life with God. You may have heard other declarations about what the foundation of life with God is, perhaps faith 
or salvation, or holiness, or humility. Each of these is important, but covenant undergirds them all. Let's see why. In the last two chapters, we came back again and again to the insistence by Jesus, by Paul, and by other writers of Scripture, both Old and New Testament, that it is not God's intention that we live in fake holiness. Rather, Scripture repeatedly condemns it. In fact, Jesus says of it, Hypocrites? Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Rather than encouraging keeping up appearances or obsequious religious displays or false humility, God's concern is always about a willing, deepening, loving relationship, always about integrity, authenticity, and making real those whom he loves. Thus, true obedience is not about mere fulfillment of ritual obligations, of following the rules to curry his favor. And this extends from every one of the 613 mitzvot of the Old Testament, the rules of the Old Testament, all the way through Jesus' New Testament commands about loving God and each other, both of which are themselves commands from the law in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18. Further, Christians often exhibit a profound misunderstanding of God's law in the Old Testament. This derives from a misinterpretation of some of Paul's insights about it and from a shallow caricature of it, especially in dismissing Jews who follow the law. I won't unpack it all here, but suffice it to say that Jews do not attempt to follow the commandments of the law to earn, curry, induce, or coerce God's favor, but rather to live healthy and holy lives in thanksgiving for the covenant favor God has already shown them. For Jews, following the law is to remain yoked with God, to live out the marriage covenant with him, to be his bride. Jesus' critique of the Pharisees was aimed at those displaying self-righteousness and false piety. He confronted those who required others to behave in holy ways that they didn't behave themselves. He attacked not the holy ways, but the hypocrisy of requiring one thing and doing another. If we Christians think we have a superior understanding of the law, that we are now free of it and the Jews are still its slaves, we miss the point. The point that Jesus and Paul make about the law and covenant is a deepening of the relationship between God and his people and the extension of that covenant beyond the Jews. So take a deep breath. We have the foundation to lay, and then we will spend time understanding God's gift of grace, covenant. Thank you, George. A quick break, and we're back with more. Stay with us. Stay with us. 